hunger will not wait What promises we to True Talk. This is your host Samar Jarrah and I have to say that we are still in the fasting month of Ramadan and I thought the best thing we can do uh, during this uh, month is to talk to Imam Azhar Subidar about uh, issues related to Islam and of course women is one of the topics that most people like to hear Muslims talk about it and I have to mention that I have taped this show so if you have any questions uh, while we're, uh, you're listening please send them to djwmnf.org or send them to truetalk at wmnf.org and uh, hopefully we will address them one day uh, live in the uh, studio. Good morning, uh, Imam uh, Azhar. Good morning to you and the listeners. How's everyone doing today? I hope, alhamdulillah, everybody is doing well. Um, I'm sure, Imam, when you go and speak, no matter what you're talking about, if it's science and Islam, or it's about fasting, or uh, it's about Sharia law, people will always have a question about women. At least this is what happens uh, to me when I am lecturing, even about the politics of the Middle East or the Arab-Israeli conflict. People somehow need to ask question about women and I'm sure you know that the stereotyping of women especially Muslim women is not favorable we are oppressed we cannot be imams or teachers we are forced into marriage husbands pay dowry for us Mm -hmm. so I'm very happy that we have you today to see really if any of this is uh, true let me begin by the creation of women were we women created equally with men in regards to the creation of women equal in their humanity to men yes as allah says in the chapter of women and i want to emphasize on that there is a chapter in the holy quran which has been titled women and nisa surah nisa uh, there is no chapter in the Quran which is titled men or arrijan. Thank God. <laughs> so uh, again, this is uh, not just to highlight that there is um, an equality here, but to give a ground to the gender, the women gender, that never had a ground prior to it in that society. And Allah says in the first verse, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُم مِّن نَفْسِ وَاحِدَةً وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً So Allah is saying this, O oh, oh oh humanity, O oh people, uh, fear your Lord, the one who has created you all from one being. And from that being, he created his wife. And from both of them, he spread many men and women. This verse highlights the equality of a woman in her humanity. So she's equal to a man in her being a human being. She's no less of a human being than a man would be. 
So uh, this brings me to a topic that we always, um, you know, I, when I speak uh, about uh, women are responsible for uh, sin, that it was Eve who uh, disobeyed God's uh, commands. Can you tell us a little bit, let's go back like uh, to Adam and Eve. Sure. Like, do they exist in Islam? Do we believe in that God created Adam and Eve? Surely, yeah, we believe that the creation uh, began of the human race with Adam. And when Allah created Adam, he created Adam in the most perfect form. Uh, there is a hadith, uh, a tradition of the Prophet, in which it states that when God created Adam, when Allah created Adam, he sneezed. And upon sneezing, he said, Alhamdulillah, praise be to God, which meant that he understood what happened and he praised God for the fact that in that split second of time when a person's heartbeat stops and their eyes close, that life continues forward. Uh, which means that intellectually, physically, in all aspects, his creation was perfect. And then what happened from that point onwards was that God created one day in heaven for Adam from his upper left rib, Eve. When he woke up, he had his partner, Eve. So we believe that there is such an intimate connection and relation between uh, a, a wife and a husband. And, um, uh, you know, the opposite race because we came from one another. And so anyone on this earth, ultimately, if we go back on Ancestry.com and retrace everyone, uh, I told people a joke once. I said that I went on Ancestry.com and I typed in Adam and tried to find out his lineage and it couldn't help me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the thing is that you will find out that there are um, they were created and there was a mistake that occurred when they were told to eat, drink and enjoy from everywhere in paradise, but not to approach that tree. And they did. And because of that, they were sent down onto this earth. The Quran describes that whole scenario very clear. Uh, but in that, when it comes to understanding where this mistake began from, Allah says in the Quran, That Adam disobeyed his Lord and that's why they ended up where they did. Um, and uh, then they so the Quran the Quran mentions Adam by name by name doesn't mention Hawa in Arabic we know no. Eve uh, as Hawa yes it does not mention Hawa as by name because when we take the verse nisa the men are more superior than women as people translate that when have been made responsible so there are two bodies in the house there's a husband the wife the mother and the father. They both have rights. They both have equal rights in the sense of, you know, decision-making and stuff. But at the end of the day, one has to make the decision, right? It can't be both making decisions. So it's a matter of coming to a common ground. So the qawwamun in, in the Quran, which means about the superiority or the responsibility, it entails towards that everything has to be taken care of and the person who will be asked will be the man. So he has to ensure that he's making the right decisions and doing the right things. So here... Adam Islam, since he didn't prevent that from happening, he was being blamed for it. And they were sent down to this earth and then they united, they reunited. So they were forgiven? What happened was, uh, based on the traditions that we believe in, is that Adam Islam was sent down in the region of Hind, which could be Sri Lanka or India somewhere, where Eve was sent down to Jeddah. Now, that's what we call Jeddah, Jeddah. In Arabic, Jeddah means grandmother. And so Eve was sent down to Jeddah, and from there she made her way to Arafat. 
And that's why that area in Hajj where we go to on the ninth day of the last month, which is the second day of the pilgrimage and the most important day of pilgrimage, we go to Arafat. And it's called Arafat because that's where they under introduced to each other on this earth. So Adam came from the Hind region and Jeddah, uh, our grandmother, which Jeddah means grandmother, Hawa, she came from there, they met Arafat, and then they made supplication they both said, Oh, our Lord, we have transgressed upon ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and overlook our mistakes, we will be the losers. So Allah did forgive them. So, you know, the reason I mention uh, that is because when I do lecture on uh, women, people ask me if we have in Islam or I as a woman, the concept of eternal um, sin or, you know, that uh, I am the cause of the sin of Adam. And then therefore, for instance, I am being punished through minister ministerial period about uh, the uh, the burden of virginity of women and i tell them where do you bring this uh, from and then when i started doing more research i found that it's written in for instance uh, the uh, other religions in mm -hmm. uh, the bible and the torah mm -hmm. um, so we do not I, you know i am born guiltless i, I am yet to once i am born mm -hmm. i think uh, maybe this is what people don't understand is that i was not born with a sin exactly um a clean slate the, the, for this Muslim. is this a concept of the eternal curse that because eve made a mistake according to some traditions or some faiths that women are eternally cursed um the quran makes it very clear no one will hold the burden of another person's actions so in this country also, if you commit a crime and you go to court and you have been convicted for that crime, you can't say, well, you know what, I got a lot of work to do, send my brother to jail or send my son to jail and I'll take care of things after. No, the person who commits the crime does the time. In a similar fashion, uh, we, number one, don't blame Eve for what happened in heaven. It was God's design for us to be introduced to our ultimate abode and home and for us to come to this temporary abode to return back to home. So God created heaven, let them dwell in heaven, brought the progeny down to this earth and allowed them to strive and make effort towards getting back towards heaven. Um, and yes, uh, there is no... Uh, there is no concept of that in Islam and there is no support of that in Islam that women have to be treated differently because they are a cause of a curse. No, they were actually in Islam. Uh, there are many traditions. There are many verses which highlight that the creation of women alone was a mercy for Adam. You know, and it was a mercy for humanity. Women's are, women are the first teachers. They're the first nurturers. They are the first uh, you know, environment. They're the first love of every creation, you know, the mother. And like, there's so much emphasism for a mother in Islam that that emphasism surpasses the right or the level of a father. A man mm -hmm. came to the prophet and said, who do I respect first? He said, your mother. They said, who next? Your mother. Who next? Your mother. Who next? Your father. So the mother has three times more status in Islam than a father does. Uh, making the status of not the sex, the female or the male, but the status of the position that a woman holds in society, which for some odd reason today, it's being forgotten. 
I don't know if it's because of ancient traditions or misconceptions, but a lady's role in society is defined as one of the greatest roles. She can play multiple roles. And we, we talk about equality gauging. It's not about what a man could do that a woman could do, what a woman could do a man could do. It's about the roles that they can play. And a woman plays a much more impactful role in our world Uh, than Amanda's. If you're just joining us, this is uh, True Talk on WMNF 88.5 and this is your host Summer and this is a taping I did a few weeks ago with uh, Imam uh, Azhar uh, Subidar uh, and we are talking about uh, women and Islam. You came across so many things that you said but I want to stay uh, on track because mm-hmm. I know this is a, a huge topic we are talking about. We shifted from uh, Adam and Eve, lack of this uh, My, I'm not the cause of uh, the sin and mm-hmm. all that. And you mentioned like how we value mothers and we have rights. And we will talk about these rights. But it seems like, uh, you know, when you watch TV, you don't see much of, and in reality too, in Islamic country, you don't see that we women have taken our rights that were given to us in the Quran. You know, I can't just always blame the media because they mm-hmm. only show stereotypical things. But in reality, we there is a difference between uh, the um, the Islam in the the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet, and the Islam is practiced when it comes to women in some Islamic countries. Why the discrepancy? We have to understand that when these verses were revealed and when uh, women were given a status in society, that was at a time when women had no status at all. Uh, They were considered a burden. They were considered a mistake. uh, And that was the societal trend. Uh, One thing that was common in Arabia was known as Wa'dul Banat. Wa'dul Banat means if you had a daughter, you better kill her. You dig a hole and just bury her alive. And so the Quran even talks about that in one of the chapters when Allah says that on that day the وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّذًا بِنْقُتِلَتْ that the small infant child, the female girl will be asked for what reason she was killed. So those people were ignorant of the fact that they were human and they were important. So Islam then started giving virtues of daughters. For example, the Prophet said, whoever has a daughter, whoever has three daughters, and whoever is blessed with three daughters, and he raises them well, and he takes care of them, and, and, and nurtures them, and educates them, they will be his path to paradise. And one person then said, what about two? And he said, okay, even if you have two. Why? Because he had to change the mindset that was dominating the society for hundreds of years. And after the 23 years of his mission and his departure from this earth, it did make a change. But today we're a victim across Asia and Arabia and different countries and even parts of Africa and Europe with a cultural understanding of Islam. And this culture, I feel very close to my heart, not just for Islam. This culture has nothing to do with the faith. I, I know there's places in India where dowry, for example, is demanded from the lady. And if she ful- does not, if she fails to fulfill the request of dowry of the husband, she will be burnt alive in her house. 
but this has nothing to do with religion. Mm. I don't know that religion, but I know in my heart the religion doesn't say this. This has become a cultural norm. So what Islam did at that time, it addressed the cultural norm. Yes, today in Arabia, there are many things where women don't have the right in a voice. For example, uh, spiritual, for example, their civil rights, uh, their social rights. These things have been given in Islam, and I could tell you those quotations that Islam has given them rights. For example, uh, Allah says that... Um, doesn't matter if you're a male or female I will not uh, I will not you know deprive you from the good that you do it's not Allah's going to say well a man brought a good deed today home I'm going to give him 10 and a lady brought it I'm going to give her half no everyone gets their fair share on a spiritual level as for civil rights uh, they have the right uh, of choice they have the right of expression there's no compulsion in the religion for that uh, a lady was once forced to marry someone and she came to the messenger and the messenger said no you have a choice you could say yes or no uh, same way in social uh, she has the capacity for learning and understanding and she should go and learn she has a right to go and educate herself it's just again the the movement of Malala Yousafzai, you know, uh, Malala movement highlights a cultural problem in mm -hmm. Pakistan. And I've been to that area of Pakistan where women cannot come out of the houses, where even an elderly lady, if she's out in the daytime, she has to hug the wall and walk. She can't even walk on the footpath because she shouldn't be out and about. This is not Islam. This is so, a culture. But they, when they do it, they they say sometimes that it's in the name of Islam. And like if you have read Malala's book, every mm. other page she says this is not Islam. This is not the Quran. Correct. But why is it? Why can't Islam, who is very revolutionary, mm. I would say, when it comes to women, mm. when it was revealed and still is very very revolutionary mm. in its emancipation of women and giving us rights, mm. why? Didn't it manage to change the patriarchal Views. mindset of men where now they give Islam in general a bad name? But again, we're going to through your our conversation today, we will see how many rights I have in the Quran. Sure. Why, why do they keep speaking in the name of Islam so wrong? Well, it's like it's it's all goes to embracing and accepting. You know, if a person doesn't want to embrace or accept the fact, for example, right outside this store, there is a beautiful steak and, you know, different varieties of lunch prepared. The manner, the, the question is, will you accept to open the door, enter the restaurant and sit down and eat it? Uh, Islam is there, but... The fact is, number one, people don't want to accept what it says. And number two, they want to feel uh, satisfied with what they have of it to be it. So, for example, you have a car. It's a beautiful car. It could be a Tesla, but you still have to charge it. You still have to maintain the air pressure in the tires, for example. These are the basic things. So Islam always teaches us to address the basics and the foundations and the pillars of it, i.e. keeping our mind and heart open to the teachings of Islam. When you enclose that mindset, and not only do they enclose it, but then they say, we have it. You know, it's a closed door. You can't, you can't yeah. fight it. So is there a clause? Is there a sentence? Is there a verse in the Quran or a chapter that says, I cannot be educated. I cannot go to school. I cannot learn how to read the Quran. Like, for instance, how they tried to kill and assassinate Malala mm -hmm. because she was promoting uh, the, the school. So is there anything written in the Quran or sayings by the Prophet uh, of Islam where it says, I cannot go to school and learn. 
Well, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that Talabul ilmi faridatun ala kulli muslimin wa muslimah. This is very clear that the seeking of knowledge is farida. And what is farida? Could you tell us that? What is farida? Farida is something we have to do. It's compulsion. compulsion. There is no like choice. Like prayer, like fasting. Exactly. Like. So seeking of knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge is compulsory for every male and female Muslim. So these doors were opened in Islam at a time when educational facilities weren't thriving like they are in the world today. But these are traditions and there's a weaker tradition but it's still a sane tradition which the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him said go seek knowledge even if you have to go as far as China so what does this entail that yes women don't have it's not about choice they have to learn we have to. they have to learn everyone should be educated and what does education entail the knowledge which will assist you in getting through your life in the world that you live in today yeah, like because how do they want me to understand my rights in marriage or mm-hmm. divorce or uh, alimony if mm-hmm. I'm not a learned person, if I can't read the Quran because, you know, I can deduct things mm-hmm. that are logical that were, even if I'm very simple person and not very educated, mm-hmm. if I read the, the Quran, I could mm-hmm. deduct where uh, and reach a conclusion where, Oh my gosh, I can divorce my husband. I I have the right. uh, Mm -hmm. God gave me the right for divorce. And I can find ways through the legal system, jurisprudence in order to divorce my husband. So I don't understand how these men in the Islamic world can deprive women Mm -hmm. of uh, learning. But is it prevalent? I mean, you travel to most of the Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. Is it like an epidemic of preventing women from studying or it's just very 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 small uh, if you want to say if you want to see the broader picture we go to malaysia we could go to libya libya has one of the highest concentration of female educated people in 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 the african region you're talking about malaysia highly educated people we're going to go to pakistan if you go to sawat in pakistan which is the upper northern area where these villages exist where there is a very enclosed mentality you will find that even in the midst of that enclosure in that closed-mindedness there is big medical colleges there and i've been to Saidu medical college which was a campus for boys and girls learning medical science and learning medicine so education thrives in in the muslim world and there are many educated women in the east as there are here in the west also from the muslim faith so again it's these are very these are very rare but existing cases. The case of Malala occurred at the same time, which was really interesting for me because uh, it, it caught a lot of attention and, and media focus, and it continues to, which is perfectly fine because uh, she has been a victim of a crime uh, because of her merely going to school to educate herself, but she came through to tell us her life story, and at the same token, uh, to be an advocate for open education. Her advocacy is focusing on the town where she's living and the people that she's living with but in her country in Lahore in Karachi in Islamabad you could go and see how education Mm -hmm. is thriving in those places but one thing that was covered at the same time was a 15 year old girl her name was Hadia uh, Pendleton she's from Chicago and she uh, sang in Obama's second term And she was killed the week after. She was killed. And they said, well, it was mistaken gang-related killing. So we have to put things in context. There are crimes being committed against women. 
But those crimes cannot be painted with only one brush of a religious doctrine. There are many domestic issues, social issues, which are leading up to these crimes. And until we don't nip the issue from the bud, it's always going to be choosing with what, what, what sounds right for us. You know? Let me just uh, remind our listeners that you are listening to WMNF 88.5 FM and this show is True Talk and I am Summer and I'm talking to Imam Azhar Subidar who lives in the Tampa area and we are talking about the topic of women. If you find this show interesting, please uh, send your comments to truetalk at wmnf.org truetalk at wmnf.org O-R-G. Let me talk about marriage, you know, and divorce and alimony. This is a big, uh, important issue, I find. I mean, the first time in my whole entire absolute Muslim life, I realized how many rights I have mm-hmm. is when the time was coming to marry my husband according to the Islamic way. Mm-hmm. And then the religious guy who came was sent by the government. I mean, we apply mm-hmm. for a permit that I am Samar and this is Ma'moon and we're going to get married. And then we need this religious man to come and perform. I mean, it's symbolic for the family. Mm -hmm. to come and then he walks into my room and he says so he checks my ID card Mm -hmm. and uh, verifies uh, he looks at my actually driving license verifies my age writes my name and then he says do you have any preconditions and I'm like what Mm -hmm. he says yeah you can write three things in your marriage contract and I had no idea (laughs) that this is a right given to me that I can have stipulations, whatever they are. I need a Lexus or uh, there wasn't a Lexus at the time when I got uh, married. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about marriage. Can we fo- be forced into marrying? I was, was I able, like I was able to be asked. Mm-hmm. So in the Quran, is there a clause, a verse that says we, he, a man can marry anybody he wants without her consent? Well, basically, marriage is sacred in Islam, and it's an act of worship. And uh, the both sides, the male and the female, both have rights and duties. And the, we could begin with the performance of the marriage itself. There are many cultural aspects in different cultures. It varies on marriage itself. But the base is that even here in America, if you go to get married, the husband and wife-to-be have to go down to the city hall, to mm-hmm. the courthouse, And they have to apply for a marriage license. And in the course of application, it's the government's responsibility to make sure that the person who's getting married hasn't been married before, isn't married, right? They're not currently Mm -hmm. married. And then, of course, you get a marriage certificate. So there's a process. The process in Islam is a very simplified process, but it's a very distinctive process. Uh, The way we, we usually do it here also, I do for some people, is that, okay, the sister, the lady to get married, she will be in seclusion first. And while she's in seclusion, we will send a witness with her father or brother or someone to go and ask her, today you're getting married. Do you know you're getting married? This is the person getting married to. Do you consent to this marriage? Now the person could say, well, why don't we just bring her out in the open to do it? Well, maybe she'll be forced to say yes because of the pressure of the gathering or the people or the parents. So there's Yeah, it's true because even with me and my family is not a religious, I mean a very strict or religious family. Mm-hmm. The guy left the area where the men are and he came almost whispering to me. Yeah. 
uh, and he said anybody forcing you to get married yeah lowering his voice and it was like really a, a mind blowing to me true and these are things because we want to ensure so like you know in 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 the islamic marriage is something called ijab in qubul the acceptance to give and the acceptance to take so we will first ask the lady side does she accept to give her hand in marriage first once we get the affirmative from her that yes she is willing then there's a two-minute sermon in arabic language which talks about the verse of the quran and the hadith and traditions and then we ask the the husband-to-be do you accept to take the hand of so-and-so who's a daughter of so-and-so in your marriage today so she has full right number one she cannot be forced into marriage and and if she is forced into marriage she could break it with nothing said number two there's something called dowry let's uh, stop there. what okay. do you mean she can uh, she can stop it without a word being said yes for example if she was forced into a marriage and she did not consent to the marriage in reality the marriage hasn't been done because a marriage in Islam is only complete with her consent and approval and, ha- and in this scenario where she was not given her consent her consent wasn't heard in her she did not approve of it so if she remains silent let's say if she remains silent which is a a, a tradition and a culture which continues mm-hmm. out of shyness uh, but she gives some indication we want her father or someone or brother and we also want an outsider to be there to witness it's not okay. like falsely say yes because we have to do yeah. this no if she even just gives a little nudge or a nod saying yes i approve this okay. it's good to go so her approval is the basis of a marriage being valid that's the f- so if if let's say she was forced into it mm-hmm. would th- that wouldn't be uh, halal no. kosher uh, legal it wouldn't be a legal marriage it wouldn't be defined as a nikah in islam it wouldn't be defined as a marriage no wow yeah. so okay now uh, sorry to interrupt but mm-hmm. there is a dowry and some yes. people have a feeling uh, or sometimes they think this is the price my husband paid for me although it's still not enough <laughs> well actually what happens is that these cultures these cultures exist to a heightened state in this world today where a person puts a price tag on the dowry now dowry is something that a husband and wife to be mutually decide it could be jewelry it could be gold it could be a ring it could be anything that they mutually agree mahri fatimi which means the dowry of fatima the daughter of prophet muhammad peace be upon him is so minimal it's not it's like 200 bucks or something it's something very small now the person will say well that's a cheap price what well, is that the value of my daughter it's not a value it's an initial gift or token which is a door to many more gifts and tokens yes he has to provide her a dwelling place and comfort and whatever is based on his ability that they should know in the beginning that's called kufu that the husband and wife acknowledge the lifestyle that they will be able to manage and maintain so they're going to enter this relationship understanding if it's poverty and we're both in a poor class we're happy with this uh where there's someone who's very rich and someone who's very poor that's now called kufu it's now called equality because mm-hmm. the levels are so drastic that's going to be a cause of conflict so the dowry is a gift a gift and it, uh, this is something i hold and it's my ownership correct so the dowry is something that the husband gives to the wife either before the marriage ceremony or right after the marriage ceremony or any time in his life this is not given to the parents of the wife 
Okay. This is not given to the parents of the daughter. It's not like you're buying her out. Number one, there's another cultural issue that I've been facing in, in, with a lot of divorce cases is that people say there's a mahri muajjal and muakhar. There is an advanced dowry and a postponed dowry. Dowry. In reality, that term meant that you have given it or you're going to give it. Okay. It doesn't mean that I'm going to give you five thousand now for the marriage and I'm going to hold you twenty thousand later if we get divorced. The Quran has already ruled out that if a divorce occurs that the wife has a right she has to be paid if there's a child this is what you know it, there's a system already created hence we shouldn't go into marriage with this negative perception look there's 20,000 on the side if we get divorced tomorrow you could take that in the country in which we live and there's laws there's alimony there's child support so how so do you, you do, for that. so let's say uh, a Muslim uh, couple in the US come to you and uh-huh. they want to get uh, married how do you deal with this issue I mean you're gonna marry them Islamically Correct. which by the way what 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 is it what because people don't know what is it like. So Islamic marriage means that we perform a ceremony in a method, in a manner which is conducive to the laws of Islam, which allow them to legalize their relationship in Allah's sight. But that can only be performed after they get the marriage license and the marriage certificate from the state. Because that's the law of the land and we have to follow the law of the land before even we follow what Sharia tells you to do while you're in Pakistan or uh, in Amman or Correct. So in order for you to be recognized as a married couple, it's imperative for them to get married and acknowledged by the state first. Uh, the minimum is to apply for a marriage license. If the clergy member performing their marriage has the right of, of notary, mm-hmm. he will then go ahead and sign off on the marriage license and send it off to state and it will be recognized. If a person doesn't have that right, then they will obtain the entirety, the entirety of the process from the state first and then they'll come to imam to ensure that the r- religious requirements are met for them to be acknowledged as a couple in the sight of of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the idea is to make it public, like I'm not marrying in secret, al-ilan or al-ishhar, as we say it in Arabic, that it's a public thing. Everybody knows Samar and Ma'mun are married. Exactly. Marriage isn't supposed to be a secret. It's supposed to be out in the open to let people know that these two individuals are together and they're bonded in a sacred relationship, which is known as marriage. And so no one can object to seeing them or holding hands or talking or whatever else. They're a married couple. So in Islam, marriage is promoted and it's promoted in the sense that people should get married and people should announce their marriage there's a walima ceremony of feeding after the marriage to let people come and there eat. has to be always food, food. When it, it has to be food to everything <laughs> <laughs> That's right. so how about okay so do you like do they you do they agree with you or the father and the groom or the bride do they tell you okay uh, imam azhar i'm going to take three golden dollars or uh, if in case of divorce i'm going to get uh, $10,000 how do or you don't deal with these things I don't things. deal with those. I actually deal with so these So there is cases. like a prenuptial... No. The prenups, if they want to do those, they could do that by the state. We don't take care of prenups. What we just do is simply do the Islamic procedure which legalizes their relationship. When it comes to prenups and stuff, they would get an attorney and do it with that. We don't get involved with that as a clergy member. Okay, now in the let's say in the Arab world, uh, I do have a marriage contract where it's written mm-hmm. that in case of a divorce, my mm-hmm. husband will pay me fifteen thousand Jordanian dinars. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that just a cultural thing about Jordan? I mean, the the number was picked by the common 
uh, custom at that time was sure. 10,000. So my husband, I don't know, he thought he was in a betting uh, mm. game or something. So when my uncle said, okay, we agreed on 10, he said, no, 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they laughed and said, okay, 15. So, I mean, 15, which equals maybe... 25,000? Uh, no, less, actually, $20,000. 20,000, okay. Mm-hmm. I think if I want to get a divorce, I'm better in get God. an American lawyer and get 50% and then the 20,000. But I mean, is that a cultural thing? It's a cultural thing because maybe it's it's a, a proven cultural thing because in the court system over there, they are not upholding the rights that the Quran told them. As I said, alimony is her right. She will be given a stipend of money, accommodation. Just say, for example, he divorces his wife when she's pregnant. He has to take care of her until she gives birth to the child and she nurses the child. So sometimes those periods could exceed that of the law of the land. So to ensure that the law of the land doesn't fall short for this, the lady, uh, maybe these laws were applicable. It's a cultural thing which I can't really comment on, but they are cultural. Whereas in this country, just say that you came to this country and that was something that um, you had written a contract and God forbid you get married, you get divorced, now you're in the court system. It's the question is that will the judge acknowledge it? The judge will go according to the law of the land here and say, well, there is a certain system that we follow here. He may say, well, you have to give the 20,000 plus what you have to mm-hmm. give. But the Quran, if you go back to the Quran, Quran has already given her right. And if you decide mutually on something else in addition to that, that would not exonerate this right. This right still stands. So that would be in addition to the right of the Quran. Okay, so in the Quran, uh, what happens in a case of uh, divorce? In a case of a divorce, if a man was to divorce his wife, there's a scenario. There is a scenario where he can take back his wife. There's a scenario where they get married again. And there's a scenario where they can't get married anymore. So a person has uh, uh, three different levels of divorce that he can give. If a lady wants a divorce in Islam, that is also accepted. But the process is a bit different. For a man to merely say to his wife, I divorce you, and that could be accepted. Whereas a lady cannot just say, I divorce you. What happens is the case would be taken to the local court and she would apply for a khula. And a khula means an Islamic divorce for a lady in which she will state the reason why she's applying for it. And then the state, uh, the, the, the judge will then approve or disapprove it based upon how he sees the functionality of the process. For example, okay, he's not providing for me, which is her right and his duty to do so. So the judge will say, you have to provide for her. And if he falls short, then the judge will say, now it's a divorce because we see the reason why this is happening. There is a basic need that you are responsible for that you're not fulfilling. And when you were given the opportunity to fulfill it, you were given the time to fulfill it, you were still not fulfilling it. Then this marriage is not so, fine. So why it's not easy for me uh, as as it is for my husband to divorce him? Some people listening might say, okay, see, that's where you discriminate against uh, women. Yeah, I can get a divorce, but it's not easy. What if I'm not an empowered woman? Because we do have these cases, uh, yes. Imam, even uh, in America where mm-hmm. women might not be able to support themselves and they are afraid if they go to the court and ask for divorce, they might lose their financial um, privileges or rights so why is it so difficult for me to get a divorce and so easy for the husband to get a divorce because when a husband goes to divorce he understands there's repercussions behind it he has he's not just going to exonerate himself that oh i'm done 
I could just go get married to someone else. No, you are financially still responsible. You're still responsible for the well-being of the lady. Whereas if a lady was to be granted a divorce, she has no financial obligations to her husband. She's free. She's home free in that sense. So Islam makes it clear that yeah, a man could go ahead and give a divorce, although it is permissible in Islam for a man to give divorce. And divorce is something recognized in Islam as being a permissible act. But it's considered one of the most uh, hateful of the acceptable acts in the sight of God. Because breaking of relationship has uh, reverberates, its effect reverberates beyond a husband and a wife and a man and woman. It could plague two families, it could plague children, it could plague generations. So Islam makes it clear, you wanna give a divorce, go ahead and give a divorce. But remember, there's, there's reasons behind that. But where a lady, she can give a divorce. If it was easy for a lady to give divorce, she could walk out right now. But thing was, there's nothing to look back upon as you know, the deterrent. And what I want to say as a deterrent that you, you understand there's a human being on the other side. So there's a responsibility. And since Allah made the man responsible, his responsibility continues even after divorce, where for a lady, it does not. So he is responsible for the alimony and for the... Child support. Uh, how long uh, child support continues? It depends on the circumstances. For example, as I said, if a lady was pregnant until she gives birth and she nurses the baby and the baby is like two and a half years old, but these laws wouldn't be applicable here in America. If you go to the state of California, I think it's for forever maybe it's like beyond 18 some states are 18 some states continue on each state varies here in america and there was a time where divorce was a big business even here in america and if you look at the stats women were getting divorced left and right because they're getting 50 percent of the assets now even this has been put to a pause because there has to be fair game here and divorce has become such a big problem i remember in lee county just recently uh, there was a couple that was getting divorced and they had to go through a class and they had to be under, they had to understand all the ins and outs of this and then they were given a choice if they want to continue with the divorce because it breaks down society and you know we look at divorce as divorce it breaks it breaks a lot if you're just joining us this is true talk on WMNF and we are talking about uh, women and Islam I mean there are hundreds of things I need to ask you mm -hmm. Imam so maybe we'll go through them uh, quickly before sure. the hour is over let me talk about of course the that the man can marry more than uh, one woman actually I was on Twitter the other day and somebody quoted the verse in the Quran and uh, he said uh, you know Muthanna God even didn't start with one wahad. No, he started with muthanna, like mm. you you are you have the right to marry two and three and four. It didn't say you have the right to marry one, two, three, four. And then I was like thinking, why don't you uh, continue the verse or begin from the beginning of the verse because it is extremely um, conditional. It's it's not permission to go and marry. Can you address this uh, issue? Why men and when can men marry more than one woman? And the Quran states that uh, Marry as you will and you please from the women two, three or four. If you can't do that, فَوَاحِدَةً Then one, stick to one. Now understand the permissible, yeah. وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تُقْسِتُوا وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تُقْسِتُوا فِي الْيَتَامَ فَانْكِحُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ مَثْنَى وَثُلَاثَ وَرُبَاءَ Why men never start with the beginning of the verse? Why do they start in the middle when it says marry two, three, four, five? فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ And if you fear, أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا That you cannot do justice, فَوَاحِدَةً 
You just marry one. It starts off if you fear that you cannot do justice in the orphans. Understand there's a scenario here. Mm-hmm. Yes, Islam has given permission for two, three, and four. There's no, there's no gray area here. It is given permission. It's not based upon solely the scenario, but the scenario played a big role because war was rampant in those days. It was just common practice and women were being left widowed left and right. So it's in context of orphans. Mm-hmm. These are children growing up without fathers, you know, they're, and sometimes not even with their mothers and stuff. So society was in a destabilized situation. So marriage helped strengthen families and bring back the family unit. So you can marry two, three, and four. Keep in mind, even in uh, pre-Islam era and even post-Islam era, even in Europe, people married 20, kings had 20, 25. These are, these are written, documented. But what does the Quran say? They put a limit. Okay, there was marriage, it put a limit. Who you could marry before there was no distinction in marry. Now there was distinction. Hurumat alaykum ummahatukum wa banatukum akhwatum. You can't marry your mother, you can't marry your daughter, you can't marry your sister. It laid out. So it brought forth barriers, it brought forth uh, uh, positions. And when it came to um, treatment, if you're going to marry three or four, you have to treat each of them in the physical terms of what you provide them, how you provide them the same. If you're giving one a Bentley, all three, four should have a Bentley. There's not of one being more favorite and the other being no. So what you're trying to tell me is that the the ta'addudiyya uh, or that uh, men could marry as many as they want and Islam came to limit it. Limit it. So it's not like giving them sanction to marry more. No, actually they were marrying so much mm-hmm. that it's trying to limit it. But then there is the stipulation that if you're not just in every aspect. Then just one. And then God even goes further and says, you won't be just. Yeah. So it, it's uh, it's like marry, but don't marry. The thing is that it's, it brought context and meaning to it. There was no meaning to it. Like marriage had no meaning. Just like today, a relationship has been through through the societal trends of the media and how things are being portrayed on our evening shows and our morning shows. It's like people have lost understanding that marriage isn't just about being a husband wife for the sake of your taxes or for the sake of death or something. There's a meaning to it. So Islam brought forth meaning to what a relationship should entail from who you marry, why you marry, how you marry, and what should be a relationship, what are rights, and what are obligations. It gave a framework when framework didn't exist. That's so he has to provide, can he ask me, like let's say I'm the first wife, mm-hmm. uh, can, uh, is there a stipulation where he needs to get my consent as a first wife, or I just wake up and find, oh, there is the, the, another bride in the house. Well, in uh, <laughs> In this country, you can. So that's that's a question that's not really... Um, I'm, okay, I don't want to talk about this country. I'm going to talk about Islam because uh, I will deal with, uh, like, if it's permissible by law to marry more than a woman if you are an American Muslim man. But sure. let me talk about in general as if we are living in a Muslim consent country. Consent and permission asking. Uh, if we're going to talk about seeking consent and permission, that marrying a second wife is based on the consent and permission of the first wife alone, then that's not correct. A man can marry without the consent and permission of the first wife. But 
Remember, as we said in the beginning, marriage is e'lan, letting the people know that you're married. So okay, this can't so, be a secret affair. So I would have known, like he would tell me, hey, by the way, I'm going to marry yeah. another one. And then, yeah. oh, God, have mercy on him. <laughs> <laughs> we know what happens after that. <laughs> <laughs> so is it prevalent, like the percentage, if you go to the Muslim world, we have 1.5 billion Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say 50 million uh, or a hundred million or God knows are uh, couples. Do we have uh, lots of households where there is more than one wife? It's a cultural thing that it, it, when I say it's a cultural thing, don't take me wrong. It's something it's in our religions. I said it's, it's, it's not, you know, a gray area. It's black and white. It's clear cut. But it's a cultural thing of how people accept it today. In a, there's places in Arabia I went to where someone told me it's common in this area. People have two, three wives, four wives. It's not a problem. It's culturally norm. It's culturally accepted. There was an article written recently here in America about my sister wife. There are people who practice mm-hmm. a faith where they have sister wives. And for the first wife and for the second wife, and maybe even for the third wife, it's a, it's a common thing. So it's how it's perceived by the people. And that's something that's... Uh, totally differs and people say well it has to go down to expenditure yes in America it's so hard to maintain three mortgages and three car payments and three grocery bills but again in some households in those places I've seen it's something that's common it's accepted and it's easy for them again it goes down to cultural society and how this applies itself you know one time you know i was at a refugee camp Mm -hmm. in jordan and you Mm -hmm. know a refugee camp i was there to see how poor people were so this guy was taking us around and uh, he had like a 14 years old and carrying and then the 14 years old girl is carrying like a three weeks baby and i said who's that he says my daughter so oh my gosh there is a huge huge gap he says yeah Yeah. it's from my second wife but i'm thinking of getting a third i said you can hardly Mm -hmm. you know uh, uh, survive he says well they are so friends they gang up on me and i was thinking how can two women who are married to the same guy be such close friends that the guy is so mad at both of them that now he wants to bring uh, a third third one that was the only case in my whole entire life i (laughs) met somebody who has married more than one woman but I was dying to go meet them to see how they can gang up on him but we're almost uh, running out of time but I really want you to talk about this uh, noble woman who's mentioned in the Quran several times where we Muslim women have to follow in her footsteps to be uh, closer inshallah to God and closer to uh, going uh, to heaven actually there is a chapter named after her can you mention this uh, woman and maybe read a few verses and we end with these verses uh, uh, from that chapter sure so uh, Allah in the Quran uh, tells the women to follow the models of two distinctive women one of them is the wife of the Pharaoh Asiya which we'll talk at another time and the last one is Mary and just like the Quran has a chapter exclusive to the women uh, named the woman and Nisa there is a chapter in the Quran known as Surah Maryam uh, the chapter of Mary and it talks so beautifully about the relationship of Mary and Jesus and the the, the virgin birth and how um, the connection with Allah. I'll just read you the passages in which I'll just quickly translate first. Allah talks about, remember in the book, i.e. in the Quran of Mary, when she set off in a distance in the eastern way uh, and she went away from the people uh, in seclusion and we sent one of our angels, i.e. Gabriel, and he came in the state of a human. And she said, stay away from me. Uh, if you have 
bad intentions, stay away from me. He said, I'm only a messenger from the Lord to tell you that you're going to have a noble child. She said, how could I have a child? No man has ever touched me. And he said, this is your Lord. Uh, whenever he makes a decision, it happens. And he wants to make this a means of mercy. Uh, and this is a decision that has been decreed. And uh, she was and became pregnant. And she went uh, away from the people. And uh, it talks about the pangs of uh, the, the, the pains of the pregnancy. So I'll read to you these passages. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وذكر في الكتاب مريم إذ انتبذت من أهلها مكانا شرقيا فاتخذت من دونهم حجابا فأرسلنا إليها روحنا فتمثل لها بشرا سويا قالت أن قالت إني أعوذ بالرحمن منك إن كنت تقيا قال إنما أنا رسول ربك لأهب لك غلاما زكيا قالت أن يكون لي غلام ولم يمسسني بشر ولم أخك بغيا قال كذلك قال ربك هو علي هين ولنجعله آية للناس ورحمة منا وكان أمرا مقضيا فحملته فانتبذت به مكانا قصيا so these are the passages of the Masha interaction. Allah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Imam. I want to thank you so much for being on True Talk. I want to thank everybody who is listening. Ramadan Kareem to everybody. This is WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. NPR News is next. This is WMNF Tampa, 88.5 on the left side of your dial, best little radio station on planet Earth. Stay tuned for NPR News, and then Stu's here with three hours of great music, so don't go anywhere.
Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Biden has tested positive for the coronavirus. The White House says a 79-year-old's COVID symptoms so far are very mild. Biden's fully vaccinated and twice boosted. 